trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. So glad you could join me today. This is where we get together to engage in wrong think on a regular basis. And I'll tell you the way things are going. There's a real need to engage in wrong think, to question the narratives, to question what you are being told by powerful politicians, by media organizations and other institutions that seem to be along for the ride. Ultimately, though, What I hope you find from this program is a place where you can enjoy some courage, some camaraderie, and where you will find the uh, necessary uh, emotional support, if you will, to claim your birthright as a free individual. That's what wrong think is really all about. It's not about just, uh, (laughs) save that for for the uh, chattering class. This ain't about a, a big shouting match. It's just about knowing what your rights are standing up for, claiming, using, and defending them. Which sounds pretty easy, but uh, as as anybody who's been paying attention or actually standing up for their rights will tell you, it takes a fair amount of, of effort in order to do it. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Also by LifesavingFood.com and by MonticelloCollege.org. And I've supplied links for each one of these sponsors in today's show notes, which you will find at thebrianhydeshow.com. So I wanted to start with uh, a couple of different things here. One was, uh, I'm very curious why we don't hear more about natural immunity as a factor in mitigating the spread of COVID. And just in interest of full disclosure, I'm, I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not vaccinated and I, I, I've actually become very, I was, I started out a little bit vaccine hesitant just because eh, I'm not really big, a big fan of needles. But the harder that our government has pushed and the harder that various organizations have pushed, not to persuade me, but to force me into taking that jab, the more determined I've come, become to not take it. And it's not because I have a death wish. I, I have some really good friends. And, and uh, my longtime St. George listeners will probably recognize if I say the name John the Liberal. John the Liberal and I are still very much in touch. I still consider him one of the best friends that I made over a very happy and long broadcast career in southern Utah. And uh, neither John nor I live in southern Utah any longer, but I'm happy to hear from him. Uh, and John has been reaching out to me lately and telling me, look, dude, I'm, I'm just concerned. I really think you should get the vaccine. He's not being overbearing. In fact, I've got to give the man credit. He has been absolutely, he, he's reached out like a friend, as persuasively as possible. And uh, in his last communication with me, he says, you know, I'm having a harder time relating to people who don't take the vaccine. In fact, I want to share this with you. I'm going to just, I'll share uh, a few thoughts from him. And um, John, I, I hope you don't feel like I'm, I'm picking on you when I do this. But um, he says, at this point, I'm finding it hard to relate to people who won't get vaccinated. He says the numbers don't lie, unless you believe the numbers are a lie. We'll actually talk about that a little bit later on in this hour. Uh, The states with the lowest vaccinated population are having big problems with full hospitals. 
Now, he says, where I live, and that's in the Bay Area of California, the rates are high for vaccinated people, and there are few people in the hospital with COVID. And the ones in there all seem, all are all unvaccinated. So he says, it seems simple. It's way over 90% of the people dying are unvaccinated. He says, look at all the people on their deathbeds wishing they had gotten vaccinated. And the terrible loss of those right-wing radio talk show hosts. That's the worst thing for me. Yeah, my sarcasm detector kind of started to smoke and emit sparks when I read that part. That's that's tongue-in-cheek on his part. He says, I guess I understand the reluctance based on what is perceived as government overreach or whatever, but at this point, regardless, the right thing for you, your family, and your community is to get vaccinated. It's pretty clear. And he says, and the president of your church said to, said so too. If you know John the liberal, John always you know kind of had a bone to pick with the LDS church, but I want you to know, I appreciate John reaching out to me. And and I, I'm i pretty sure he's seeing a lot of the same uh, news sources that, uh, for instance, my mom is seeing. Because I hear her saying many of the same things. And I don't know if you can trust those numbers or not. I, I Honestly, I think that the numbers are, are being reported in a way to generate fear and to generate uncertainty. And I'm going to share a very detailed example of that coming up here in the next segment. But it doesn't change the fact that government is is out of its lane. And I don't I don't believe for a minute that uh, all of the the stories that we're hearing about. Well, it's you know, it's just the unvaccinated that are filling, you know, the, the hospitals. Um, I know three people right now who are fighting a pretty serious bout of covid. Two of them are fully vaccinated. One of them is not. Now, that's I know it's just anecdotal. But my point is. The vaccine is no guarantee that a person isn't going to get it. So um, this this virus affects different people differently. I, I don't know what to tell you other than, you know, thank you for the concern. But I'll go back to what to, what to James Harrigan uh, said in an, in an editorial that I share in the other hour of the show. And that is, if the vaccines work, why would you need to mandate them? If they protect the vaccinated. Why is it so important that everybody else get it too? There's something here that doesn't add up. So I'm not telling you don't get the vaccine under any circumstances. That is your decision to make. And I hope it's something you take seriously enough that you'll actually, you know, do the the hard work of understanding what's at stake, what the risks are, what the benefits are. I've done my own risk benefit analysis and so far, the vaccine is coming up short. Plus, I have the added incentive that uh, I have someone trying to force me to do something against my will. And as, uh, as an unapologetic, free individual, I'm just not going to do that. I, I need to make sure that people can clearly see that uh, there is not universal consensus on this. You know, the idea is that it's only the unvaccinated. I've seen a couple of different statistics out there showing this, and yet I've also seen studies. There's one out of Israel that uh, a friend sent me recently that seems to show that uh, the vaccinated are now finding themselves hospitalized. So you got to make that decision yourself. I'm sorry, the waters are muddy. But even so, we don't hear much about robust natural immunity. Back in October, I am 99% sure that I had COVID. I actually went to get tested. That's how sick I was feeling. 
I thought, I probably better go get checked and see if this is what it is. And I got to the COVID testing site. It was a drive-up site. Um, There were, I think, six cars in line, and they took the last three of us and turned us away. Sorry, we've done all that we're going to do today. So I thought, well, if it's not important enough for you to know, then it's not important enough for me. I guess I'll just have no choice but to go home and get better or maybe die. And I was feeling pretty poorly at that point. So I went home and uh, my wife remembered, um, she remembered a, a, a kind of treatment that she had heard from a friend of ours, coincidentally, a doctor in St. George area, who um, had said there's a very uh, highly purified fish oil that seems very effective in helping reducing the inflammation and helping people who are having trouble breathing. And my wife had thoughtfully thought to pick up a bottle of that fish oil. She brought it to me as I went to bed that night, and and I was pretty miserable. My lungs were tight as a drum, and I had been uh, sick for at least a week at that point. And she says, you should really try this. Let's just see if it helps. Now, look, I some there's a part of me that would really rather die than take fish oil because <laughs> I just think it's so nasty. But I bucked up and took a tablespoonful of this fish oil and... I was pleasantly surprised to find it really had no taste at all. Downed it, and I went to sleep, and I woke up about uh, six hours later, having slept well for the first time in many nights, and for the first time I wasn't wheezing when I woke up. And it took about another week or so of, you know, every every time I, my lungs would start to get tight, I would take another tablespoonful of this fish oil, but uh, wow. It got me over the hump, and from that point on, I have not been seriously ill since that time. Now, I'm 99% sure. I think I I checked off about 10 out of 12 COVID symptoms. The only thing I didn't lose was my sense of taste or smell. But if, in fact, that was COVID, then I should have natural immunity. Earned the old-fashioned way. When we come back from the break here in just a few moments, we're going to talk about why natural immunity thwarts any case for vaccine passports. And maybe this is one of the reasons why we're not hearing a whole lot about it right now, because maybe those vaccine passports have something to do with, uh, oh, I don't know, other than uh, trying to uh, to mitigate you know, the spread of a disease, maybe they're more about keeping track of the people. Maybe they're more about electronically tagging us like so many cattle. Maybe. We'll talk about it just the other side of the break. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. All right, let's talk about natural immunity. This is an article from the American Institute for Economic Research. John Sanders is the author. The title is Stronger, More Robust Natural Immunity Thwarts Any Case for Vaccine Passports. Tell me more. He says a growing body of research is making making it increasingly clear that natural immunity to COVID-19, owing to previous infection, is stronger, more durable, and broader than vaccine-induced immunity. Apart from not being unusual among infectious diseases, this fact has significant implications for governmental, school, employer, and 
excuse me, business plans to harass and restrict people who aren't vaccinated. For example, on June 4th, Stanford Medical School physician and economist Jay Bhattacharya, Harvard Medical School biostatistician and epidemiologist Martin Koldorf, and University of Oxford theoretical epidemiologist Sunetra Gupta summarized it this way, embedding several studies along the way. By the way, there are links to all of these things mentioned. They said, quote, It is now well established that natural immunity develops upon infection with SARS-CoV-2 in a manner analogous to other coronaviruses. While natural infection may not provide permanent infection-blocking immunity, it offers anti-disease immunity against severe disease and death that is likely permanent. Among the millions that have recovered from COVID-19, exceedingly few have become sick again. Now, John Sanders says more recently, new research out of Israel makes the case that a prior COVID-19 infection offers far superior immunity than do the vaccinations. Gazette, um, X, X, Gazette et, al, et al. rather, in a preprint posted on August 25th of 2021, compared vaccinated people without prior COVID-19 infections with unvaccinated people who had recovered from prior infections. Matching them by infection and vaccination periods to test their immune activation time, that was 16,125 people in each group. In other words, 32,250 people. They found the vaccinated were 6 to 13 times more likely to have breakthrough infections than were the naturally immune to have reinfection. Can that be right? Adjusting for comorbidities, they found the vaccinated were 27 times more likely to have symptomatic breakthrough infections than were the naturally immune to have symptomatic reinfection. Furthermore, he says there's reason to believe that for the previously infected, vaccination could be detrimental to their immune response. And this is from another uh, uh, bio RV, RF, let me try that again, RXIV preprint posted on March 22nd of this year, found that COVID-19 recovered individuals do not seem to benefit from the standard regimen for COVID-19 vaccination. As they wrote, on the contrary, in individuals with a pre-existing immunity against SARS-CoV-2, the second vaccine does not only fail to boost humoral immunity, but determines a contraction of the spike-specific T-cell response. For the previously infected, then, there's reason to believe that the vaccine poses no benefits, only costs. See, I'm not I'm not great at speaking the medical language, so for me, it's still like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Charlie Brown's teacher has just explained this. Now, for those of you with a medical background, you know, maybe it makes perfect sense. John Sanders goes on to say, George Mason law professor Todd Zwicky had several compelling reasons behind his successful challenge to his university's vaccine mandate. As seen by the July 21st letter on his behalf from the New Civil Liberties Alliance, Zwicky was previously infected, offered substantial research attesting that immunity to COVID-19 through infection was at least as robust and long-lasting as that achieved through vaccination. He had evidence to be wary of adverse reactions to given his recent bout with shingles and was also concerned that all of the vaccine trials so far had specifically excluded survivors of prior COVID-19 infections. 
citing a study in which researchers stated we cannot exclude the possibility that the vaccination of a growing number of individuals with pre-existing immunity to SARS-CoV-2 may trigger unexpectedly intense, albeit very rare, inflammatory and thrombotic reactions in previously immunized and predisposed individuals. Well, that would explain, right, some of the... uh, some of the weird reactions and blood clots that seem to come with some of the vaccines. Now, John Sanders says it shouldn't need to be said, except that this bizarre time in which things shouldn't need to be said are the very things that require clear statement. But such research and discussion is in no way meant to counsel against vaccination, which ought to be a personal decision based on a dispassionate weighing of personal benefits and costs without coercion. Nor is it to argue for deliberately contracting an infection. He says, I've personally witnessed this presentation of facts corrom around inside someone's skull until it comes out bruised and twisted into, oh, sure, go get COVID and die, and then you'll be immune. Now, Sanders says these findings stand in stark contrast to the case for vaccine passports. That's the uh, euphemism for depersoning anyone who hasn't taken the vaccine against COVID-19. President Joe Biden has talked of banning interstate travel to the unvaccinated. Universities are barely waiting for the tuition checks to clear before imposing vaccine mandates. Hospitals, healthcare facilities, on down to rehabilitation facilities, are denying critical care services to the unvaccinated, who are also finding themselves in some places at risk of losing access to government services. Governments, schools, hospitals, and some businesses egged on by politicians, public health popinjays, and media are threatening the very jobs of the unvaccinated. With those deadlines looming, September could be a very bad month for job losses. Even some retailers, restaurants, entertainment venues, and others are denying their services to the unvaccinated. Again and again, he says, these tyrannical edicts make no allowance for people with natural immunity. Should the people behind them get credit for caring, trying to further public health? Their defense, after all, is that they're trying to pressure people to do what's good for them. In other words, the White House considers vaccine mandates the right lever at the right time. How much goodwill shall we ascribe to them amid such pointless, callous behavior? The person turned away at the schoolhouse door. The person denied critical medical care. The person not allowed in your restaurant. The person forbidden from flee- from fleeing to a freer state. That person without a vaccination card could very well carry a stronger immune response against the virus than the card-carrying elite allowed to participate in your unbrave new world. Oh, but the response is, unlike with the vaccinated, it's hard to know who's recovered from previous infection. Right, he says, and that fact undercuts the case for vaccine passports as well. Let me explain how. He says the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that only one out of every 4.2 actual infections of COVID-19 are reported in the U.S. Now, this estimate makes sense if you consider, for example, one member of a family of four tests positive, but the rest in the house feels sick, or also uh, so many mild or asymptomatic infections that wouldn't prompt a doctor's visit. These are, incidentally, signs of a highly functional, virus-specific cellular immune response. He says, as of this writing, there have been nearly 39,280,000 cases, in other words, reported infections, and nearly 639,000 deaths. 
multiply the case count by 4.2, then subtract out deaths, that implies that there are about 164.3 million people with robust natural immunity. That's nearly half the population in the U.S., already 332.7 million per U.S. Census Bureau estimates as of this writing. Now, we're going to have to come back to this in just a few moments, but can you see the case he's making here? And as one of those people who's pretty sure that he had, you know, COVID, but didn't have it documented, I do find it remarkable that uh, I really haven't been sick since that time. Knock on wood. We'll come back to it right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out to lifesavingfoods.com. One of our great sponsors here, and also a great place for you to find peace of mind against whatever may be coming. I know there are a lot of things that look a little bit scary out there right now, and it's not all COVID-related. Some of it's economic-related. Some of it's just, you know, I don't know if you've noticed some of the different uh, shortages that are going on. If you know someone who works in manufacturing, they could probably tell you more about it than I can. But I know that uh, there are you know, lack of computer chips for cars. There are lack of basic materials. One friend was telling me about how when he gives somebody a quote, he says, you know, uh, this, this quote could change before the day is out, depending on the availability and price of whatever it is I'm going after. My point is simply this. There's a pretty fair amount of uncertainty right now. One of the things that you can do that's absolutely within your grasp is to make sure that you have a good shelf-stable supply of food on which you can rely if for some reason the supply chain were to break down. Or, for instance, things were to get very expensive, which we're going to talk about in the final segment this hour. Go to lifesavingfood.com. Just take a look at the different packages, the different uh, different various, uh, you know, grab-and-go packages. <clears throat> Everything from a 72-hour kit to a week-long food supply to a full year supply for multiple people. It's all there. Pick what fits your budget. Be consistent at adding to and filling in the gaps in your existing food storage program. These are ready-wise foods, 25-year shelf life. They're available right now may want to act sooner than later. This is not one of those times you want to look back and say, oh, man, I had the chance and I didn't didn't do it. So consider it. The link is there on the show notes page at com. I'm sharing this article here from John Sanders from the American Institute for Economic Research about how natural immunity thwarts any case for vaccine passports. And he makes the case here, as of the time he wrote this, There have been nearly 39 million reported infections, nearly 639,000 deaths. If you go by the idea that maybe one in four, actually one in 4.2 actual infections of COVID have been reported, and then you subtract out the deaths, you would end up with about 164 million people with robust natural immunity, nearly half the population in the U.S., according to the U.S. Census Bureau. 
Now, he says, without accounting for vaccination, then, roughly half the U.S. population already has an immunity to COVID-19 that's stronger, more durable, and broader than anything from a vaccine. But only about a fourth of them, however, would be able to prove it with documentation of a reported case. So, yes, it's hard to know who's already got natural immunity. That uncertainty, however, targets half the country when it comes to denying them common human decency and the mundane privileges of traveling, attending university, receiving medical care, receiving government services, dining out, or even buying groceries. He says such acts are made with the presumption that there's no good reason not to get a vaccine. Now, to be sure, there are several good reasons to choose vaccination, especially if you are among those vulnerable groups, such as the elderly and those with chronic disease. But as Zwicky showed, there are also good, compelling reasons that someone might decide against vaccination. Dr. Koldorf and Dr. Bhattacharya wrote in the Wall Street Journal back on April 6th, the idea that everybody needs to be vaccinated is as scientifically baseless as the idea that nobody does. COVID vaccines are essential for older, high-risk people and their caretakers and advisable for many others. But those who've been infected are already immune. The young are at low risk and children for whom no vaccine has been approved anyway are at far less risk of death than from the flu. If authorities mandate vaccination of those who don't need it, the public will start questioning vaccines in general. They go on to say vaccine passports are unjust and discriminatory. Most of those endorsing the idea belong to the laptop class, privileged professionals who work safely and comfortably at home during the pandemic. Millions of Americans did essential jobs at their usual workplaces, and they became immune the hard way. Now they could be forced to risk adverse reactions from a vaccine they don't need. Passports would entice young, low-risk professionals in the West and the developing world to get the vaccine before older, higher-risk, but less affluent members of society. That means many unnecessary deaths would result. End quote. So John Sanders says the right response in these uncertain times is, as always, the response that protects people's liberty and respects their autonomy. Fight vaccination passports and similar mandates forbidding people from enjoying all the privileges they enjoyed as a matter of course prior to March 2020. He says resist the urge to burden your employees, students, patients, and patrons. Even taken on their own merits, <clears throat> excuse me, these prohibitions amount to nothing more than a coin flip against each and every person turned away. Considered in full, they are cruel, discriminatory, and ultimately self-defeating. I'll have a link to this in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Um, very well researched, lots and lots of hyperlinks within the article. I know some people just want to skim the surface and then proclaim themselves experts. I've, I've researched this and just waiting for my PhD to arrive in the mail. But if you want to dig deeper into these topics, and especially I notice the, the stuff from AIER always seems to come with very well-sourced links and documentation. This is how you do it. Does it take more time? Absolutely it does. Is it worth it? Well, you tell me. Let's talk for a moment about uh, trust issues with the official numbers of COVID cases and those who uh, would question whether those numbers are being exaggerated to generate public fear. 
I just uh, I listened to this over the weekend. I'm not going to play you the audio clip because it's fairly poor audio quality, but a leaked Zoom call of health officials in North Carolina clearly shows a very detailed discussion of how to report the numbers in a way that scares the public into complying. This is an article from WBTV.com. It says, Novant Health, New Hanover Regional Medical Center, has issued a statement after a video of an internal discussion on how the hospital reports its COVID-19 patient count was leaked on social media. The just over two-minute video sparked a heated discussion online, with many pointing to the conversation as proof hospitals were falsifying or artificially inflating case counts. One of many, what they call conspiracy theories, circulating as health officials report record case counts in many parts of the country. The video begins with the hospital's director of marketing, Carolyn Fisher, explaining what information the hospital provides in terms of COVID-19 numbers, with specific mention of the percentage of unvaccinated hospitalizations. Dr. Mary Rudick, who previously served as chief of medical staff for NHRMC, responds bluntly, saying she feels the hospital's messaging seems to, needs to be a little bit more scary for the public. She then proposes including patients she characterizes as post-COVID in the hospital's case count, the primary source of the outrage on social media. After sorting through an apparent misunderstanding, Rudick further explained her point. I think those are important numbers. The patients that are still in the hospital that are off the COVID floor but still occupying the hospital for a variety of reasons. Now, Shelbourne Stevens, who earlier this year was named president of the hospital and the coastal market, clarified Rudick's request, explaining patients who were initially hospitalized from COVID-19 or with COVID-19 but are no longer positive for the virus are considered recovered and therefore removed from the hospital's COVID-19 patient count. But I do think from our standpoint, we would still consider them a COVID patient because they're still healing. And then the partial video ends with a blunt statement from Dr. Rudick saying, I think we have to be more blunt. We have to be more forceful. We have to say something coming out. You know, you don't get vaccinated, you know you're going to die. I mean, let's just be really blunt to these people. Now, when reached for comment, a spokesman for Novant Health issued a statement saying, well, the team members involved in this excerpt of an internal meeting are seeing the highest level of COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths so far in this pandemic, despite having safe and effective vaccines widely available. This was a frank discussion among medical and communications personnel on how we can convey accurately the severity and seriousness of what's happening inside our hospitals and throughout our communities. Specifically, the data we've been sharing does not include patients who remain hospitalized for COVID-19 complications, even though they are no longer COVID-19 positive. So it does not complete, does not provide a complete picture of the total impact of COVID-19 on our patients and on our hospitals. We continue to be concerned with the amount of misinformation in our communities and consistently strive for more ways to be transparent and tell the whole story. The continued rise of hospitalizations makes it evident we have more work to do to reach our communities with this message. Okay, that's all fine and dandy. I understand. You got a tough job. You're working under combat conditions, so to speak. But we just have two of your people there talking about how can we report these numbers in such a way as to scare the public that doesn't strike you as maybe just a little bit uh, out of character or a little less than honest do tell this is the brian hyde show
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Man, I am just getting so much off my chest today. I should probably be paying you therapy, right? That's only if you're a licensed counselor, though. (laughs) I, I kid. Hey, our program is brought to you in part by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Yes, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And if you are looking for a traditional loan, a VA loan, reverse mortgage, maybe just want to uh, refinance your existing home loan, and you reside within the state of Utah, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the stability and the clout to get you the loan you need without delay. You can call them at 435-703-4522 if you're in St. George. Stop in and see them at 619 South Bluff Street. All right, couple of things I wanted to cover in the last segment here. Um, one of these is kind of good news. The other one, um, well, something to pay attention to, but this, is, this should not uh, scare you or should not leave you feeling hopeless. Let's start with the good news. By now, it should be clear that anybody who wishes to retain his or her personal freedom to any degree has to be willing to assert it. And that's uncomfortable for some people because there's a lot of pushback right now. Alan Stevo says, we have got to get used to saying, show me the writ, meaning show me the policy. That's the spirit you have to have at all times if you want to be free. Just a couple of quick excerpts here. His column says, in 1776, a bloody rebellion started. As economist and historian Murray Rothbard depicted in his five-volume classic, Conceived in Liberty. What came before that, though, was the true revolution. Now, Alan Stevo says, dozens of times a week I have phone conversations, email conversations, and text conversations with people in which they say they are subject to some policy. He says, I ask for the policy. They don't have the policy. They've never read the policy. They've never seen the policy. And he says, sometimes after that conversation, they refuse to even get the policy. They talk about how intimidating it is to ask for, or how the website with the policy was hard to navigate. And sometimes they even say, I'll just look for an attorney. He says, wouldn't it be easier to just call the person who handles the website and ask them to either navigate you to a PDF of the policy or email you a PDF of the policy? He says, listen to me. If you aren't resolute in what you want, hiring an attorney is one of the surest paths to getting cheated. If you can't work up the gumption to ask for a policy from a boss you've known for 12 years and whose children's birthday parties you've gone to, you have no business hiring an attorney unless, possibly, if he's somehow a saintly attorney who also happens to be a, have a totally empty schedule devoid of work commitments, family commitments, and all other commitments and hobbies. Not sure that I know anyone like that. Otherwise, he says, your paid attorney will pay you the indignity of ignoring you, just as you allow your employer to do. You can't outsource your fight for personal freedom to an attorney. You have to do your own growing to be free. Now, he says, an attorney's not a surrogate for you in your personal growth. So many treat an attorney as such. An attorney is someone who works for money. He will do what it takes to get himself money. And if you don't have the wherewithal to direct that effort, you will end up with your attorney chasing money, no matter how harmful that pursuit is to you. Now, Alan Stevo says attorneys can be great. They're useful in open and shut cases. None of today's public health mandates are open and shut cases, though. He says there's a lot of uncertainty. They're also great when properly managed. 
Attorneys can leverage up the influence of a free man who knows what he's about, or they can create greater misery in a client's life. So am I saying not to get a lawyer? No, he says quite the opposite. I'm saying to toughen up a little and be ready to do the things it takes to be more free. That is a powerful message. And one of the most important things you can do to protect your freedom is to have frank conversations with the people who consider it their duty to limit your freedoms. And that can be very hard for some people. But he says without that growth, some people will not be free. Freedom ultimately comes down to honest, face-to-face conversations. So he says you've got to be the squeaky wheel. You've got to be the one who asks, let me see the policy. I'm going to skip ahead here. Um, The link to this article is in the show notes, so I hope that you'll take the time to check it out. Here it is. This is the point he wants to make. He says, every man or woman who wants to live free will be comfortable or will become comfortable in asking, show me the policy. And then reading the policy, and I mean really reading it, understanding it, have Black's Law Dictionary on hand if you need that to understand a particular word or phrase. But he says these are basic, irrefutable aspects of living civilly in society. Your one-sentence email could actually end up creating three hours of work for your boss. Not fun, but that's why he gets paid the big bucks. Is this bureaucratic and procedural approach the key to freedom? In essence, yes. He says freedom is had by constantly negotiating with those around us in a way that allows us to honestly protect our boundaries. Interesting thought. I think I think Alan Stevo has put in so much time and effort into a, a good principled way to assert your freedoms. Strongly recommend him for anybody who's feeling like I got to do something. And Alan really speaks to to the spirit of freedom that should be burning in the hearts of many people, but right now seems only limited to a few who take it seriously. The fact that you're listening to this message right now tells me you're probably one of those people. All right, one final note. It's pretty hard to miss. Everything is costing more these days. Now an executive for a major supermarket chain is warning we are about to start really feeling rising inflation when we shop for food. This is from uh, the Epic Times. An executive of Kroger, one of the largest supermarket chains in the U.S., warned grocery prices are about to become even higher this year as inflation sets in. Inflation's running hotter than previously anticipated. Prices are slated to rise an additional 2 to 3% over the second half of 2021. That's according to Kroger CFO Gary Millerchip during a call with reporters. Now, last week, I think it was last Friday, he said Kroger will be passing along higher costs to the customer where it makes sense to do so. I mean, come on, what choice do they have? They're in business to, to stay in business, not to become a charity. This comment comes as the price for beef, poultry, and pork have risen at grocery stores in recent months, leading White House officials to blame meat processing companies. Oh, that's what we need, a little more regulation. Just four large conglomerates control the majority of the market for each of these products, beef, pork, and poultry. And the data show that these companies have been raising prices while generating record profits during the pandemic. Great. Now tell me about the pharmaceutical companies. Sorry, that was National Economic Council Director Brian Deese at a press briefing on September 8th. Deese, taking aim at JBS, Tyson Foods, Cargill Meat Solutions, and National Beef Packing Company, said these companies have seen record or near-record profits in the first half of this year. And that's coincided with a period where we've seen disproportionate increase in prices in those segments. 
Secretary, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack claims some food companies may be price gouging, though he noted that labor and transportation costs have risen since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. You think? Vilsack said, our job is to make sure that the farmer gets a fair price and that the producer, when I go to the grocery store and I'm in the checkout line, I'm, getting a, I'm paying a fair price. Guys, the market will take care of this. It doesn't need government interference. So there's a couple of things to, to worry about here. Not that you need to sit and stew, but at least be aware of them. Yes, the costs are going up. And it's not a matter of, well, these greedy food producers are just hiking their prices. There's no doubt they probably are hiking their prices, but it's because the purchasing power of every single dollar in circulation is diminished because of the massive amounts of money being dumped into the system. That's how inflation works. It's not a matter of, well, they're just raising prices because they're greedy. It's a matter of there are more dollars chasing the same amount of goods and services, and every one of those dollars is worth a little bit less. That's how inflation works. The same, you know, 300 bucks that you spent on groceries last month is only going to buy you, you know, $250 worth of groceries comparatively this month, even though you're still spending that 300 bucks. I think this is probably a time to get serious about storing canning, growing, producing your own food wherever possible. I see more people getting serious about this. I mean, if you have if you have a place for chickens, it's a wonderful thing to, to participate in that to cooperative art of protecting and feeding and watering your chickens and in return, them providing you with a ready source of protein as well as a barterable good. Maybe you want to go in with friends on a, on a milk cow or something like that. I don't know, a garden, a greenhouse. Maybe you just want to bolster your food storage program. I don't know. Just be prepared. Costs are going up. Government is saying, well, we may have to get involved. Oh, great. That should fix things for us. He said sarcastically. Better to stand on your own two feet wherever possible. This is The Brian Hyde Show.